Well, good morning, church. My name is James. It is good to be with you here today. Let me start by wishing a happy birthday to any of you who might be having a birthday today. Today is my dad's birthday. I thought I'd throw that in there. I actually want to start by having a little trivia quiz if we can. Anybody here heard of a man named Ignaz Simmelweis? Pretty unusual name. I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. Maybe this will help. Dr. Ignaz Simmelweis. No. We should know this guy. He was a Hungarian doctor. He practiced about 150 years ago. And that's really not all that long if you think about it. He has this enduring legacy, which probably seems so obvious to us that we would doubt that this was ever an issue. There was ever any debate about this. Simmelweis was the doctor who first linked the spread of infectious diseases to doctors not washing their hands. Now, doesn't that take some mental gymnastics to think that was an issue? <laughs> like, if you go in the exam room now and the doctor comes in and his hands are filthy, you're like, ew, you know, covered in blood. That, that would freak people out. Well, apparently not so long ago, this was a pretty common occurrence. And at the time Simmelweis was practicing medicine, the mortality rate for mothers after childbirth, even at the very best hospitals, was one in six. One in six new moms dying in the hospital. They didn't know why. They called it childbed fever. One in six. Because the practice back in the day, as gross as this was, was that doctors would start their day by performing autopsies. And then they would go and visit their patients, often these expectant mothers, and they wouldn't wash their hands. Ew. Dr. Simmelweis was confounded by the number of mothers that were dying, and so he made that simple change. He began washing his hands after the autopsies between visiting patients. He'd wash with this chlorine solution. He practiced this for 11 years. The death rate that he encountered after childbirth was 1 in 50, as opposed to 1 in 6. So the non-hand washers have a mortality rate of 17%. Simmelweis has 2%. Wouldn't you think people would notice that? Wouldn't you think they'd be impressed by that? They couldn't dispute this tremendous amount of evidence? But no, they didn't listen. And so Dr. Simmelweis began lecturing worldwide on this topic, and other doctors laughed in his face. They said, we've been delivering babies for centuries like this. Nothing wrong with it. They saw no need. This is a really sad story because Dr. Ignaz Simmelweis went insane. And he died at the age of 47. Because he had this life-saving message, nobody wanted to listen to him. This is just 150 years ago. Some of us died in 1865. It's not that long ago. Doesn't it seem ridiculous? We've got to stop and realize there's an obvious parallel here to what we can learn from Dr. Simmelweis and his colleagues who didn't see the need to wash their hands to stop the spread of disease. There are millions, literally there are billions of people walking through their life every day unclean, filthy, defiled, walking around like their hands are covered with blood. We are born covered with sin. And we are infecting this world around us and we are dying. And yet so many are oblivious to the need to get clean. Instead, we just find somebody dirtier than us and compare ourselves to them. See, I'm fine. Not as dirty as that guy. Walking around every day, 
our minds filled with lust and pride and greed and anger and jealousy and comparison and manipulation and selfishness. We spread lies and gossip. We walk around telling dirty jokes. We watch stuff on TV or in the movies or on the internet that if somebody asked us about here in church today, we'd be embarrassed. Yet if somebody comes up to these people and says, hey, why would God let you into heaven? What do we say? Because I'm basically a good person. We get so desensitized. We're so caught up in the way we've always done things. We don't even recognize our need to be clean. I'm clean enough. Semmelweis' colleagues who denied this obvious connection between their filthy, unwashed hands and the resulting infection of their patients, they couldn't see the problem with the naked eye. They would have needed a microscope to see all this bacteria that was causing the spread of disease. Listen to me on this. It's the same way with sin in our lives. People who have not professed faith in Jesus Christ cannot see the need for the cleansing of sin. And so they need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They need to be under the microscope of God's Word to have their eyes opened so they can recognize the need to be clean. Because once that happens, once we recognize the need to be clean and God is calling us, then we can go to Jesus. And He's the one who cleanses sin. And that's what we're going to see in God's Word today. We're going to encounter a guy who recognizes his need to be clean, and so he does a brilliant thing. He goes to Jesus. Join me in your Bibles. Open your Bible app to the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 5. We're going to study verses 12 to 16, and in this passage, we're going to look at this incredible healing that Jesus performs. But I'm going to suggest there's more there than just the healing. I'm going to suggest there's a lot of application for us. Because I believe this is a literal miracle as Jesus cleanses this man who's struggling with leprosy. But, but I think it's also a clear picture of the struggle that every person on this planet faces with sin. So let's take the time to walk through this. And I'm going to warn you right now, this is going to get really uncomfortable here in just a few minutes. Because in this passage, Jesus cleanses this man with leprosy. I don't know how much you know about leprosy. I studied a lot this week, and I know more than I wanted to know for sure. But in a second, I'm going to show just a couple of images that will let us see the effects of leprosy. They're not the most graphic ones I found, but they're intense enough that we should be able to get a sense of what this man that Jesus encounters would have gone through. So if you're like me and you have a weak stomach or you're sitting with young kids, I'm going to instruct you now, when this time comes, look down, okay? You may want to look away. This is the pre-warning. I'm going to give you an actual warning. <laughs> we get there in a minute. Here's what I learned. Leprosy, as we recognize it today, is something called Hansen's disease. It comes in two forms. It's very treatable today, thanks to advances in medicine like washing our hands. But, but leprosy does come in two forms, and they both present the same way. They both start out looking the same way. You get these patches sometimes all over your body, of skin that turn white or pink, this discolored skin. But there's a benign form of leprosy, of Hansen's disease, that can, even if you leave it untreated, go away on its own. It takes a while, between one to three years, but, but it'll go away. 
So not everybody that we see in the Bible who got leprosy is going to advance through these worse stages. Some people probably had this benign form, and so they recovered. And they go through this process of being declared clean by a priest that Jesus is going to make reference to in our passage today. But then there's people who don't have the benign form. And for them, once they get the patches and once they start to ulcerate their life, as they'd known it, is over. Those patches start to to fester and they become open sores. They ulcerate and they're so painful that that you can't touch them. You can't bathe if you're a leper because it's that sensitive. Over time, as as they become open, gaping wounds, you lose the nerve endings there. And so lepers often will have their fingers and their toes and sometimes their limbs fall off. They won't even feel it. They become that desensitized. A leper walks around with these painful sores. And if we've read any of our Bible, we know nobody wants to be around them. Because it's a horribly infectious disease. You don't even have to touch the leper to get it. You can be near them and they sneeze and you get it. Now, this is gross, but do me this favor. Go there with me in your head. Imagine this is you. Imagine this is your spouse or your kids. You're bopping along through life. Everything's great. One day, all of a sudden, you get a rash. And the rash starts to spread. And those sores become open. And your life is over. You're a leper. You or your spouse or your kid. And what would happen is you'd be exiled. You'd be sent to live outside the camp. You couldn't be around anybody. Well, now you know what that means. You can't work anymore. Nobody wants to have a job with you. So how do you live? Only way you can live is by going and begging, but you can't be near anybody. Anybody comes close, you have to yell, unclean. So now you're just relying on your friends or your family. And they have to come and leave food or leave money, and then they go away, and then later you come and get it. That's your life. The Bible instructs lepers on how they had to go through life in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 to 46. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. He shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What if that's you? What if that's your spouse? What if that's your kids? Let me show you a couple images. People who are like the man in our story today, they're covered with leprosy. They're full of leprosy. And again, this is the warning, okay? This is the part where you're going to want to look down if you don't want to look at this. Go ahead and show these pictures. Leprosy was referred to in one of the commentaries that I looked at as the living death. You're dying inch by inch. People with these advanced forms of leprosy, they could live 20, sometimes up to 30 years in this condition. I want us to feel for these people. I want us to feel for the man in this passage and understand without encountering Jesus, there is no hope for him. He will not become clean on his own. 
Okay, take that down and you can look up again. Think about it. Think about the physical pain. Think about the emotional pain. Think about the social death and isolation that somebody back in Jesus' day would have experienced. Because if we'll think about that, I think it'll make what Jesus does for this guy carry even more weight for us. And I believe it will help us apply this teaching because let's be honest, unless we're going to third world countries, we're not going to probably run into a leper in this world, somebody full of leprosy. But hear me, as long as we stay on this planet, we're going to encounter people all the time who are covered in sin. They are full of sin. And if sin manifested itself in ulcers and open sores on our body, we'd run into people who look just like this. And hear me on this. The consequences for those people who are covered in sin are just as real as the emotional and physical and social pain that this leper in our story is encountering. I know this. I I spent the first 26 years of my life covered in sin. There's real pain, but sometimes it just looks like we're oblivious to it. And sometimes what those of us who are covered in sin do is we just jam it down deep. We try to hide it. We try to mask it. We try to self-medicate. Long term, that does not work. Jesus Christ is the only one who can heal and cleanse and forgive sin. That's what we're going to see in this passage. It's not just about cleansing the leper, okay? The takeaway for us today is Jesus can. He is willing to cleanse every person who needs cleansing. Every person who recognizes their need and comes asking to be healed. Okay? So now that we know what we're dealing with, let's see how Jesus interacts with this man who's covered in leprosy. And we can be thinking about how Jesus deals with us when we come to him covered in sin. Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 12 with me. Luke writes, While Jesus was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the leper, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. So at this point, Jesus has been doing public ministry for probably about a year or so. And he's in one of the cities that's in this hill country around the Sea of Galilee. And something unusual happens here based on what we just learned about lepers, right? Jesus is in the city. And a man comes up to him and he's covered in leprosy. This is Dr. Luke writing, so that's a medical diagnosis. Covered in leprosy means he's advanced. What's he doing in the city? He's supposed to be outside the city, right? What's he doing coming into the city? It's true, historically, religious people back in the day carried rocks in their pockets just in case a leper would wander into town looking for food and they'd take the rocks out and hurl them at the leper. What is this guy doing? And we can't know this for sure from the text, but I'm going to suggest, I think this man is at the end of his rope. I think this man is lying 
on the pit of the floor that's at the base of rock bottom in his life, he realizes he's done. And hear me on this, that's a good place to be. Because laying on the floor of the pit is sometimes the place where we most clearly hear God's call in our lives. And this guy has heard Jesus can heal people, so I believe this leper risks coming into town because he wants to be healed. Jesus' fame is so widespread. He's going around the region. He's healing people. This leper knows he's dying inch by inch. And he can't cure himself. So he recognizes his need and he goes in search of Jesus and he finds him. And what does he do? He falls on his face. This shows humility. This shows a true understanding of the fact he gets Jesus is God in the flesh, right? And this guy's in the advanced form of Hansen's disease. He's probably lost some toes. He's probably lost some fingers. His joints are swollen. I doubt he came and and knelt down and and bowed. I think literally he fell. As vulnerable as he could be, he just fell on his face at Jesus' feet. And what did he do while he was down there? He begged. He implored Jesus. He had come to the end of himself. He knew there was no chance for him to heal himself. And and I want us to see this. This is so telling. The leper totally nails the theology part of this miracle. You see that? He comes and he addresses Jesus as Lord. He acknowledges that Jesus is God. And he doesn't come and say, gosh, if I could just muster up enough faith, then maybe I'd be healed. He doesn't come and say, well, if you just had enough power, Jesus, then I can be healed. No, he goes, and the only issue for him is whether this cleansing was in God's will or not. Right? Lord, if you are willing. So the leper begs, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What does Jesus do? Now again, it's helpful. Put yourself in this guy's situation. For sure he's been alone. For sure He's been exiled. Maybe he had a wife. Maybe he had kids. Can't touch them. Can't hold them. They can't come and sit on his lap, right? He's got this advanced form of Hansen's disease, and this hadn't been months of leprosy. This has been, this probably been longer than years. This might be decades since someone has touched this man What does Jesus do? Instead of running away like everybody else, like I would, like you would, he reaches out and he touches this man. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. I talked about the importance of touch, the ministry of touch. I said when you're praying for somebody, you can appropriately touch them. You put your hand on their shoulder. You hold their hand because somebody coming with a prayer request is coming vulnerably. They could use a touch. How much more so this guy who hadn't been touched in decades? Jesus says, I am willing. It's in God's will for you to be clean. And Jesus reaches out and he touches him. And the opposite of what we think is going to happen, happens. Jesus doesn't touch him and get leprosy, right? Jesus touches him and the leper becomes immediately clean. It's a miracle. 
right? But remember, for our application, this is on two levels. Yes, Jesus has the healing power to cleanse this guy from leprosy. He can do that. We can't. We also have to realize when we need to be clean, when we need to be cleansed of our sin, Jesus has that power as well. All we got to do is humbly come to Him and ask. Like this leper did, Jesus can do it. We cannot cleanse people of sin. Jesus does that. So what's our part? There's a great passage in the book of Jude that's very instructive. It's practically informative about how close we should get as Christ followers to somebody who's struggling with a sin issue so that we don't become defiled by the sin. That's an issue we have to deal with as Christ followers in this world. How do we reach out to people who are covered in sin? This is in Jude, verses 20 to 23. We're serving in this world as Christ's ambassadors. And Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Jude's telling us, if you're going to go out and do this, if you're going to engage, then abide in Christ. Cling to Jesus Christ. Be continually filled up so you can go do ministry. This is what we're going to see Jesus do at the end of this passage. It says He slips away to be with God and pray. That's what we've got to do. Then, by faith, we can reach out. What will that look like in verse 22? Have mercy on some who are doubting. And catch this, save others, snatching them out of the fire. We can't save them. Jesus saves them. But we can get close enough to snatch somebody away from the sin that would destroy them. You understand, if you're getting close enough to snatch somebody from the fire, that's pretty close to the fire, right? But we can't get in the fire. Then he says, and have, on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, have mercy with fear means have an attitude of caution as you go out and minister. The fire's hot. As you go to serve people who are covered in sin, be aware of that. God puts us in this world and He leaves us here as Christ followers after we're reconciled back to Him so that we can impact the world around us for Him. We're not supposed to run and hide from the world. And we're not supposed to love the world either. But we are supposed to engage in it. But hear me on this. We're not supposed to go and engage in sin right alongside people so that we can point them to Jesus. No. We want to make sure that we don't get so close to the sin that we become defiled by it. We're not supposed to sin to lead people to Jesus because we will become infected by the sin. But here in Luke 5, we see that Jesus is different. He's both fully God and fully man. So he has the authority. He's the one with the power. He has the ability to cleanse this leper of his leprosy. Jesus can reach out and touch this leprous guy and not become infected. Do we see the application? Do we understand that Jesus alone has the power to cleanse 
anyone of their sin. Anybody who comes and asks to be clean. So our job is to go and snatch them away from the fire and point them to Jesus. It's not to clean them. We can't do that. He's the one who cleanses sin. But we understand when we're covered in sin, we need somebody to reach out and touch us. We need Jesus to cleanse us. Lepers, back in the day, they were exiled, right? They were sent outside the camp. They weren't able to enjoy the warmth of close relationships. They couldn't have family meals together. They couldn't hold their loved ones. Uncleansed sin in our lives results in the same levels of isolation and loneliness. Husbands and wives who used to be so close, used to love each other so dearly, what happens when unconfessed sin, unchecked sin comes in? Alienate from one another. Parents who love their children do anything for them. They'd fight for them. they protect them. What happens is the kids grow old. They become rebellious. They sin. Well, then what do the parents do? Instead of responding in love with discipline, they sin. They continue that pattern of sin and we drive the ones we love away. Sin in our lives isolates us from one another and it grows and it grows and it has no cure and it results in spiritual death. Do we see the comparison? leprosy and sin that the Holy Spirit is showing us here in Luke. So what did this leper have to do in order to be cleansed? What do we have to do as sinners in order to be cleansed? You've got to come humbly and ask. We can't come demanding to be cleansed. We've got to come like this guy with faith that understands we don't have a right to be made clean be perfectly just of God to condemn us for our sin. That's the correct consequence for disobedience. But instead, when we come and throw ourselves at His feet, begging for mercy, look at verse 13. This is what we get. Jesus says, I am willing. He is willing and able And we can be cleansed when we profess faith in Him. What a beautiful picture. Let's move on. See what happens next for this leper who was miraculously made clean. Look at verses 14 to 16. Jesus ordered him, tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even further. Large crowds were gathering to hear him to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Because remember, we said a few weeks ago, Jesus didn't come to start a healing ministry. So he's not going to set up a hospital here and heal people 24-7. He'd slip away to be encouraged and reminded of his purpose to share the gospel. To preach the gospel so people can be reconciled to God. But go back with me to verse 14, because this is just so backward that we've got to comment on it. Here Jesus is demanding obedience from the leper. He just saved this man's life. 
Will the leper be obedient? No, he blows it. But please think of this before we get too harsh with this guy. How are we doing in the obedience area? Because if we're Christ followers, then we've been called to make disciples who make disciples. We're supposed to be God's witnesses to the reality of Christ's resurrection. We are literally supposed to go and tell everyone the good news. And yet we tell almost nobody. In verse 14, after Jesus cleanses this leper, He tells him not to tell anybody, and this guy blabs this story to everybody he runs into. Maybe Jesus should have told us to keep the good news a secret. Maybe then in our disobedience and our fallenness, we'd tell everybody. I'm just saying. This leper was miraculously cleansed. And then Jesus expected of him what he expects of us when we come to be cleansed of sin. He expects our obedience. How do we do with that? How did the leper do? You see, stories like this highlight the incredible nature of God's grace, don't they? Now Luke only reports the results of the leper's disobedience. He indicates that the news got out even further. But in the parallel account of this, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells us about the leper's disobedience. It's in Mark chapter 1, verse 45. He says, The leper went out and began to proclaim it freely, to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. But he had to stay out in the unpopulated areas, and they were still coming to him from everywhere. Now, there's a big part of me that wants to cut this guy a break. I mean, his disobedience is at least understandable to me. He's dying outside the city, inch by inch. He's exiled. Now, all of a sudden, he's clean. And after he would go through this process of being pronounced ceremonially clean, he could go and re-enter society. But if it's me, I'm going to struggle with the tell no one directive, right? I'm going to want to go shout this from the rooftops. I get what this man is doing, but that still doesn't excuse disobedience. Jesus was crystal clear with his instruction. Again, it's even more pointed in Mark's account. This is Mark chapter 1 and verse 43. After Jesus heals the leper, says he sternly warned him, don't go tell anybody. And immediately sent him away. Now listen, I don't think Jesus is saying you can never tell anybody what's happened. I think Jesus has a best way to do this. What he's pointing to here is obedience to Scripture. He wants the leper to go and show himself to the priest because there's a process for how this works. He wants him to go through the process of being pronounced ceremonially clean because Jesus is always about obedience. We need to learn this from the leper in Luke 5. We're not supposed to just go and do what we want to do based on our feelings. Again, I sympathize with the guy. wanting to go tell everybody what Jesus has done, but that's not the instruction. He should have done it the way Jesus told him to. After Jesus heals us, after we come and beg to be cleansed, we're supposed to be obedient. Don't miss that in this passage just because the leper did. Now, why was the leper supposed to go to the priest first? 
You can go back and read this on your own. This is in Leviticus chapter 14. But let me summarize this for you. If a leper became clean, and it would normally be a leper who had this benign form of the Hansen's disease. It wouldn't be somebody who had a miraculous encounter with Jesus. But if they became clean, they would go and meet with the priest outside the city. And the priest would be like the medical examiner. He's going to be the one to pronounce the cleanliness. And if he is indeed clean, there would be a ceremony. It was very similar to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement ceremony. But here, what would happen is, the leper would come and he'd bring an offering. It was two birds. And the priest would name the leprosy over the one bird, and it would be sacrificed. But then the other bird would be set free. And this was symbolically showing that the shedding of the blood of the first bird accomplished the healing of the leprosy. For us, think about it, accomplishing the forgiveness of sin. And then the other bird is set free to show that it's Jesus that takes away our sin. Jesus is the one who can heal us. This is why the leper was supposed to obey Jesus. Because if he went and was pronounced clean through this ceremony, then God would get all the glory that he was supposed to get. It would be this great picture of Jesus. Everybody who witnessed it would be pointed directly to Jesus. And then, after the leper went to the priest, he's declared clean, they'd have a party. It was a huge party. It was literally like a week-long party. And at that party, he could have told everybody, hey, I, I used to have leprosy, now I'm clean. We're supposed to tell people. When we're covered in sin, we're supposed to go and be reconciled and then tell everybody. Please grasp this with me. This account in Luke 5 is not just about Jesus being God and performing a cool miracle and healing a guy of leprosy. We've got to see the connection here. Because if we do, then we can live lives of abundance. Not a one-week party. We have a party that goes on for eternity and we are supposed to tell everybody about it. There's no way we can cleanse ourselves of sin just like there's no way a leper can clean themselves up. Sin is a condition that causes those of us who are covered in it to live outside of the camp of God. Sin is a condition that ends in spiritual death. By nature, by choice, sinners are in the same category as lepers in our story. But what does Jesus do for the leper? He reaches out and he touches him. And what does he do for those of us who are covered in sin? For every sinner who wants to be cleansed, he reaches out and he touches us. Maybe you're here today and God is convicting you of your sin. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're realizing, I should be walking around yelling, unclean! I've done vile things. I've done nasty things. Or I've had vile and nasty things done to me, and the enemy is trying to make me believe that's who I am. That's my identity. I'm unclean. But if we hit the bottom of the pit, 
we hear God's call on our lives and we respond by going to Jesus and asking to be cleansed? Hear me on this because I can promise you this from God's Word. I'm not making this up. He is willing. He will reach out and touch us and cleanse us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where we see this promise. The Apostle John explains, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we may not be saying it out loud, but we may be walking around thinking, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an adulterer. I'm a fornicator. I'm a loser. I'm a liar. I'm a gossip. I'm whatever. If we would be willing to take that thing that we're claiming to Jesus and ask to be clean, He is willing. He can and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you've never really understood that today. Maybe God brought you here to church today and you've always thought that Christianity is all about guilt. Making you feel bad about the things that you do. No. We need to be reminded of the things that we do wrong so that we can be in awe of God who does things right through Jesus Christ. And then we can humbly come and ask to be forgiven. And when we do, Jesus reaches out and He touches us. And He forgives us. And He cleanses us. And there's a party. Let's close our time together by taking communion. Communion is such a beautiful reminder of what God has done in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to become fully God and fully man, so that He can reach out and touch us and cleanse us when we're covered with sin. Jesus is willing to do that. That's what we remember as we participate in the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the bread and the cup, and they symbolically represent Christ's body and blood sacrificed for us, spilled for us, just like that image of the sacrifice of the bird when the leper went to the priest to be declared clean. The blood cleanses us, and then the bird that flies away reminds us that Jesus takes our sin away. So if you're here and you're a Christ follower, this ordinance is for you because for you this whole message is joy because you were covered in sin and then you hit the bottom and you recognized your need for Jesus and you went and asked to be cleansed and He healed you. Because He's willing. So if that's you, the elements are here. They're around the room. And we're going to have some response time. And we're going to do what Scripture tells us to do. We're going to examine our hearts. Confess our sins. And be right with God. At the end of this passage, Jesus slips away in the wilderness to be with God. You can do that right here. Right in your seat. During this response time. It's beautiful. But if you're here today and you've never responded to God's call on your life, you've never been able to hear the call, then I'm praying right now you're lying at the bottom of the pit. And you recognize your need, 
and you'll respond like this leper did. You fall on your face before Jesus. And know this. You can know this beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is willing. He cleanses every sinner who comes to him and asks to be clean. And when you're clean, there's going to be a party. And there's going to be new life. And in this new life, God desires for us to be obedient to his commands because he's worthy of all our praise. And so if that's you today, I'm just praying you will not leave this place without letting Jesus reach out and touch you. And then you'll tell somebody about it. Come and tell somebody so they can have that party with you, help you connect to the Lord. Let me pray for the bread and the cup. Father God, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story in Luke that is more than just your son cleansing a leper. It's the picture of grace. It's the picture of power and authority that Jesus has to cleanse us from sin. God, break us. Help us to lie on the pit of the floor at the base of rock bottom and recognize our need for you. Help us to humbly come and put our trust in you. And help us, as we've studied your word today, know you are willing. We can be cleansed. Immediately the sin will be gone like the leprosy of this man. God, thank you for the bread and the cup that remind us of your great love and sacrifice for us. God, thanks for the chance to come and worship together as a body. We love you. We ask all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.